I want to begin this morning with a story. It's been around a while. It's probably one you know, the monster at the end of this book, <laughs> starring lovable, furry old Grover. Hello, everybody. Right. What did that say on the first page? What did that say? Did that say there will be a monster at the end of this book? It did? Oh, I am so scared of monsters. Shh. Listen. I have an idea. If you do not turn any pages, we will never get to the end of this book. And that is good because there is a monster at the end of this book. So please do not turn the page. You turn the page! Maybe you do not understand. You see, turning pages will bring us to the end of this book. And there is a monster at the end of this book. But this will stop you from turning pages. See, I am tying the pages together so you cannot... You turned another page! You do not know what you are doing to me. Now, stop turning pages. There. I, Grover, am nailing this page to the next one so you will not be able to turn it and we will not get any closer to the monster at the end of this book. All right, all right, all right. Do you know that every time you turn another page, you not only get us closer to the monster at the end of this book, but you make a terrible mess. This will stop you from turning pages. A heavy, thick, solid brick wall. I would just like to see you try to turn this page. Do you know that you are very strong? <laughs> the next page is the end of this book, and there is a monster at the end of this book. Oh, I am so scared. Please do not turn the page. Please, please, please. Well, look at that. This is the end of the book, and the only one here is me. I, lovable, furry old Grover, am the monster at the end of this book, and you were so scared. I told you and told you there was nothing to be afraid of. The end. Now, let it never be said that at Chapel Rock we neglect the classics. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people can identify with Grover. They pick up this book, and they say there's a monster at the end of that book. And to be sure, there are some monsters in it. But the end of the book is not the monster. And we want to tell Grover, hey, hey, it's going to be okay. The, the end is, it's not what you think. But since we can't, I, I guess I'll have to tell you, hey, it's going to be okay. The, the end here, it's, it, it's not what you think. It's not a monster. And maybe, maybe what you've been scared of this whole time is actually supposed to comfort you. Thanks for being here today. I'm so glad that you're joining us here in the room. Thanks for those watching online. If you would take a second, fill out your connection card and make plans to be back here again tonight at 7 p.m. Uh, comedian Mike Goodman is going to be here. You are not going to want to miss that. You're going to want to bring friends. Hopefully, in your uh, when you came in today, you grab one of these little invite cards. You still have a few hours left. Uh, you could share our social media post if you want to invite somebody. Uh, you could take a picture of it and text it to them and just say, hey, I'd love for you to be here. Uh, doors will open at 6.30. You can come in, grab a seat. Uh, bring, bring your friend. Bring your neighbor. Bring your neighbor's dog. I, no, no, not really. Don't do that. But... Um, definitely want you to be here. You're, the last two and a half years have been really hard, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. So I think just being together tonight as a community to laugh and, and be encouraged, I, we need that. It's just emotionally, we just, we need that right now. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want you to open your Bibles to the end. <laughs> 
to the book of Revelation. We're going we're gonna to bounce around a little bit today. I'm going to show you several verses in, on the screen, all right, because I want to show you some stuff in parallel as we move uh, forward, these ideas forward. But I want you to have your book open um, so you, just, you can follow along. Like, we're going to bounce around a bit, uh, but you might want to take a note. Uh, I know not all of you use a paper Bible. I'm super digital in most of my life, but I still preach from and, and do my devotions out of a paper Bible. I just like the analog feel of that. Um, and I like being able to highlight and underline stuff and write in the margins and, and document what God is doing in my life. And if, like emotionally, if you have a problem with writing in your Bible, get over it. Uh, it's okay. You, you, you need to do that to engage with what God is, is doing for you, okay? Because for the last couple of weeks, we've been in this series in the book of Revelation called Approaching the Apocalypse. Now, I want to remind you, our word apocalypse is a transliteration of the Greek word apocalypsis. This is the word that John uses in Revelation 1.1. This is actually, this word is translated revelation. It means uncovering. It means unveiling, which is kind of ironic because most people to them, revelation is covered and veiled and hidden away. But God is revealing to us what he wants to do at the end of the world. And so we, we have this idea that this, we're approaching the apocalypse, and I do have a sense that we're getting closer. We're closer now than we, we were before. There's the sense that history is picking up speed, and that's a play on words, though, also, because a lot of people don't know what to do with this book. It feels like a monster at the end of the book to them. What do you do with that revelation? So we're going to talk about how to approach John's apocalypse, his revelation. The apocalypse is approaching. And for a lot of people, that's, that's terrifying. Even for a lot of Christians, this book is terrifying, which is it's hard because I think if John were here with us in the flesh today, that would break his heart. He did not write it to scare you. He wrote it to comfort you. He wrote it to comfort the churches of Asia Minor in the first century. He wanted this to be a comfort and a blessing for the Lord's church. On CNN.com, this, this week, there was an article about what they call rapture anxiety, their term. And these are people who grew up in, in a setting, grew up in a church setting or maybe a religious, uh, their home setting, where, where the rapture was constantly just in front of them all the time. They're talking about the rapture constantly. And you better, you better be with it. You're, you're, you're gonna, if you're not, you're not living right, you're going to miss it. You know, and there are stories about people who, like, they, they had a coworker one time. He was all, uh, all about the rapture. He was talking about it all the time. And, and one day, for, it was a scheduled meeting. They all took their clothes, and they laid them in the chair, and then they didn't go to the meeting. This happened. And the guy showed up and thought he missed the rapture. Like, you know, he, he had a heart attack. Like, legit, sent him to the hospital. You know, it's, it's a real thing, and, and it's, it's been traumatizing for people to have this rapture anxiety, and that, that is not what John intended for this book. Listen, if you're a Christian and you're not comforted by revelation, you're reading it wrong. All right? Now listen, I'm not saying that the book is like Grover and it's lovable and cuddly. Let's be honest, it's a little prickly in places. That's the, there's, a, there's a reason for that. And, and because of that, you need to understand, it's supposed to comfort you. But because it can be a little prickly in places, I think we also have to add, if you're not a Christian 
and you're not made uncomfortable reading Revelation. You're also reading it wrong. Because the day of judgment will come. And it will come when and how God says it will. And you will be held to account for everything you've ever said and done and thought. <laughs> and so, this, this, if you're in Christ, this should comfort you. If you're not, this may make you uncomfortable. Which is why at the conclusion of this message, I'm still going to offer an invitation for you to come forward as we sing together and place your faith in Jesus and acknowledge him as Savior and Lord. To, to, to say, yeah, I've made that decision. I'm ready. When that day comes, I'm going to greet it with joy and not fear because I'm right with Jesus. That, I want you to appropriate for yourself the salvation that's only available in his name because of his blood shed for you on the cross. So if you haven't done that yet, you might feel a little uncomfortable. And if that's you, you need to understand that that's the Holy Spirit of God trying to kick you out of your pew at the end of the sermon. I, just, I want you to have clarity on this because I think that we're, we're actually comforted by being clear about this book. Here, here's what I want you to get today. I want you to keep this in mind as we study this together. When you understand clearly what John is doing in Revelation, it transforms the book from a monster into a friend. When you understand clearly what this is about and what John is doing, this will change the book for you. And it, it won't be scary and it won't be intimidating. It'll actually be a comfort to you. It'll be a friend. So my main goal today is not to persuade you that I'm right. And unless you agree with me, you know, you're wrong. Now, I think I'm right. and Because <laughs> if I didn't, I would change my mind. It makes sense. Think about it for a second. Um... I, I do, but this falls, what we're going to talk about today absolutely falls into the category of what Paul talks about as disputable matters. You can disagree with me and we can still love and serve Jesus together. It's okay, all right? God's going to do what God's going to do. But what I have found is that the per perspective I'm going to offer you provides a great deal of comfort for me in a world where I desperately need it, okay? And so my main goal today is not to persuade you that I'm right to the exclusion of everybody else, and if you want to be right, you have to agree with me. That's not what I'm trying to do. All right? Also, I'm not trying to like, give you five simple steps to do anything. You're like, how in the world do you apply this? My, my goal today is to comfort you. My goal today is to speak to your heart and, and give you a sense of comfort and peace so that you can face a world that's becoming increasingly hostile to your faith with joy and confidence. That's what I'm trying to do today, okay? Um, and, and I want you to have that comfort because I think we need it now more than ever. The real question for us this morning is how does understanding that the structure of Revelation has layers and symbols and repetition and that when we understand these things, it makes the book a lot clearer than it appears at first blush. How does that give us comfort? I think there are three answers to that question. Here's the first one. The repetition means that the story is surer, it's more certain than we appreciate. The repetition in the book means that the story is surer than we appreciate. Now, when you read Revelation closely, you're going to notice some repetition. We saw an example of it last week, right? At the end of Revelation 1, you've got this glorious depiction of Jesus, right? Skin glowing like bronze, hair like, you know, wool, and I mean, all this glorious description, shining clothes, right? And then every one of those things is repeated in chapter 2 and 3 in the seven letters to the seven churches in pieces so that they know, listen, the one who appeared to me like a son of man, the glorious one, the one on the throne of heaven, that's who's talking to you, church. 
And it's, it's repeated, like, okay, so that now you know, okay, here's, it's the one with authority who's, who's saying this to you. All right? And not to, mention, I mean, not to mention the whole, like, you know, whoever has ears, let them hear. That's every, every one of the seven letters, seven churches hears that, right? That's just the tip of the iceberg. What John wants us to know is that all the repetition is to comfort us in the knowledge that God's plan is secure. The reason this gets repeated over and over and over and over again is that the story is surer, I think, than we anticipate. Because we read this, and it's so easy to get all freaked out by all the stuff. <laughs> and what, what, what he wants you to know is, like, God has already determined what he's going to do. And the repetition is, he's just going to tell you again and tell you again and tell you again and tell you again. <laughs> Parents, how many of you have ever had to repeat something to your kids? <laughs> yeah, a couple times. Why? You want them to get it. You want them to understand. Right? That's what it's here for. This will happen like God has ordained. The righteous will be rewarded. The wicked will be punished. And the end will come the way God has determined. The end. Right? And the repetition is not a new thing. God has been doing this, oftentimes with apocalyptic style images, for a long time. If you were to go all the way to the other end of your Bible, you'd find a great example of this. In Genesis 37, right? Joseph, son of Jacob, has these dreams, right? First he dreams that there's out the grain out in the field, and, and the sheaves of grain of he and his brothers, they stand up. And then the, the brothers, the 11 brothers bow down, their sheaves of grain bow down to his. What? And then he has another dream, right? And there's this time, there's the sun and the moon and, and, and the 12 stars and all the stars and the sun and the moon bowed down to him. What? Two different dreams, two completely different sets of images, fairly apocalyptic if you ask me, one meaning. And the meaning is that his family will ultimately serve him. And they will bow down, which was literally, it literally came true. These images depicted something that literally came true. Now, you apply that to the repetition in Revelation, specifically the end of the world, right? Let me ask you, how many times does the world end in Revelation? Answer, seven world ends seven times in here. Like, what? Let me show you a couple. All right, look at this. Um, look at Revelation 6, 12 with me. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. Remember, so there are seven seals. Here's the sixth one. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red. By the way, when people get freaked out about a blood moon, that's where it comes from. That's the verse, okay? And the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now, listen, I, I, I'm, not, you know, I'm not an astronomer or a geologist. That sounds like the end of the world. Like, if that literally happened the way the text describes it, uh, the sky, like, leaving the planet, uh, that's the end of the world, right? Every mountain and island removed from its place, Hollywood can't even pull that off. The, the, the earth, the, the shape of the earth changing. Continents moving. Mountains being flat. That's the end of the world. 
right? Okay, let me show you another one. Revelation chapter 9. It's three chapters later, right? The sixth angel sounded his trumpet. So before we were in the, the seven um, scrolls, now we're in the seven trumpets, right? The sixth, so this is trumpet number six. And I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, I'm not a doctor or a mathematician. <laughs> that sounds like the end of the world. I, I at least can do enough math. If, if you assume a global population, even if right now, of eight billion people, that's two and a half billion people dying. That's the end of the world. Like, like you think that wouldn't be on the news? I mean, we've been tracking this situation in Florida. I've got a buddy uh, on the same dorm floor who lives in, he serves a church in Fort Myers. His whole, his beach looks different. It's like it's been moved around. And they don't even know how many people have lost their lives yet. We don't have a final count on it. He's been kind of tracking on Facebook some of the stuff that's been going. Please pray for the folks in Florida. Potentially hundreds have lost their lives. And I'm not trying to minimize what's happening in Florida, but a third of mankind. That's the end of the world. Okay, one, let me give you one more, right? Just for the sake of argument, one more. Revelation 16. Look at this. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each wearing up, weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Listen, again, I'm not a meteorologist or a civil engineer. That sounds like the end of the world, too. You see the repetition here. The end of the world, and there, there are other times as well. Those are three out of seven. The world ends. I so appreciate Dr. Lowry. Last week I mentioned Bob Lowry's book, Revelations Rhapsody. I would encourage you to get it. You can find it. The, don't go on Amazon because they had like one copy and it was 100 bucks. Don't do that. Uh, collegepress.com, it's like 17, 18 bucks. It's a great book. In his book he writes, the events in Revelation do not all form a continuous series, but the series of sevens, Right? Seven seals in 6, 1 through 8, 5. Seven trumpets in 8, 6 through 11, 19. Seven bowls in 15, 1 through 16, 21. Repeatedly bring us to the end of the world when Christ comes in judgment to either reward or punish. I think the point of this repetition is to tell us that the story is surer than we anticipate. We have this tendency to read this and, and the imagery is like, whoa, I mean, it's mind-bending, right? And, and it's just crazy. We think the whole world's gone mad and there's all this uncertainty. I don't think that's the point. I think the repetition proves it. He said, this is going to happen. There's, there's certain markers that will happen along the way. And seven times he tells the, tells the story. But Dr. Lowry, in, in saying that, is also, I think, getting us into a structural element that takes us even deeper into this idea. And that's the second answer to the question of how understanding this gives us clarity right? and gives us comfort. Right? It's that the structure means that the end is closer than we think. The structure of the book means that the end is closer than we think. In 1939, William Hendrickson wrote a book called More Than Conquerors. 
And in that book, he talks about how Revelation is divided into parallel sections. The term he used to describe that is recapitulation. Now, I know that none of you use the word recapitulation in a sentence this week. Some of you have never heard that word before. That's fine. I wanted, so I want to define it for you, all right? Here's the definition. Recapitulation is an act or instance of summarizing and restating the main points of something. That's recapitulation. And you hear this quite frequently in this room. You see examples of it in this room um, many Sunday mornings. Me or Fred, at the end of a message, we'll kind of restate the sermon, right? We kind of review the main points. We go back over what we just ta- told you, right? If you ever took a speech class in high school, right? It's tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them, right? That's the structure they give you. Recapitulation is this, it, it's, it's the same thing again and again so that you understand it. It, it, it's, uh, it was Hobbit week last week, Hobbit day was last week. Um, it, was, it was interesting this year. But, uh, and, you know, the Rings of Power is on Amazon right now, so it's fresh in my mind, maybe. Forgive my nerdy, nerdiness. Um, when you watch The Lord of the Rings, right, there's, there's a theme of music, the, the, the fellowship theme, that's what it's called, the, the, the fellowship theme. And there's this, this musical motif, and every time that the fellowship is doing something amazing and heroic, or they're trekking across the land to take the ring to Mordor to destroy it, right? There's this music that plays. And your heart swells, you're like, yes, do the thing, go destroy the ring, you know, with the little short people and the swords and the horses, do the stuff, right? You, like, ah, it's great. And every time the fellowship does that, you hear that theme. Da, da, da. It's 12 hours of movie. Da, 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 da. It's recapitulation. It's telling you, here they, here they are. Here's the theme. It's, it's, it's hero moment. <laughs> like, I, I still don't get it. Okay, cool. Let me, show you, let me show you a picture example. Okay, let me show you some pictures. December 98. December 2013, same people, same tree. They're a little bigger, right? It's a family recreating their Christmas photo. This is recapitulation, right? It's two guys in the principal's office. He's cool with it, he's not, <laughs> you know? All right, this is another one. They're at Disney World, right? He's grown up, just, you know. That's awesome, right? Dad taking his boys to church. I love this, you know, it's, it's Forrest and his dad, I don't know. Um, and then these guys, and I love they just, they completely, they nailed the facial expressions, right? That's brilliant, right? Same, same pair of brothers. I love this. This is recapitulation. I want, it's same people, right? Same places. <laughs> same poses. I know that's kind of silly, but I think it helps us understand with greater clarity what's going on in the book. The structure of Revelation is a sevenfold recapitulation of the end of the world. It's the same story with the same cast, different images, costume change, if you will. You see, Hendrickson in 1939 was picking up on something that was actually noticed as early as the late 200s AD by Victorinus Patau, who's a bishop who was murdered for his faith in AD 304. 
Victorinus concluded, he says, ultimately, order is not to be looked for in the apocalypse. Understanding is to be looked for. Now, he's not saying that there's no order. He's saying the order that's there is not chronological, it's thematic. Let me show you another structural element that emphasizes this recapitulation. All right, because before we've used the, these, these parallel verses, I want to show you this. So here we got the series of trumpets on the left side of your screen and the bowls on the right. They're separated by about, you know, eight chapters, right? You, th- there's, there's a gap here, but I want you to look at these key words. Every time you see a word highlighted, it's the same word in the original. Hail and fire, blood cast to the third of the earth is burned. It's poured out on the earth. Let's go to the next one. A mountain of fire is cast into the sea. A third of the sea is turned to blood. In the bulls, it's poured out on the sea. It became blood. All life died. The next one, right? Wormwood falls on a third of the rivers and wells of water. The bull, it's poured out on the rivers and wells of water that became blood. In the next one, a third of the sun, moon, and stars are darkened. It's poured out on the sun. Same word. Next one. A demo- this, the sun is darkened, and the kingdom of the beast is darkened. All right, one more. Loosing of the angels, the great river Euphrates, the great river Euphrates was made bitter. It's the same word every time. And then finally, when you get to the end, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ. And it's, there's this statement of it's, it's done, it's the end. Ta-da. You could end the book of Revelation at Revelation eleven nineteen. It would totally make sense. If it stopped... And John's original audience was reading it, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. Shall we stand for the benediction? Right, like, you could end it there. You could end it at Revelation 16, 21. It is done. Okay, that's the end. (laughs) The book ends seven times. This is just one example, right? You see the recapitulation. Same word, there's these parallel structures. Let me show you something else. There's this phrase that John uses four times in Revelation. It's translated after this, right? It's the Greek phrase metatauta. Literally, it means after these things. And you're going to see this phrase pop up in chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 9, chapter 18, verse 1, chapter 19, verse 1. After this. I said, okay, you like chronology? I get it, all right? But there's another one that serves much the same purpose and, and just blows that up. It's the phrase kai idon, literally, and I saw. This pops up 25 times in the book. Look at all that. 25 times. And I saw, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw. Now, in English, when we read that, we tend to think, okay, they're implying a chronology. This happens, then this happens, then this happens. That's not actually what it says. What he says is, I saw this, then I saw this, then I saw this, then I saw this. What if it's the same thing with different images? It's recapitulation. These transitions speak to the order in which John saw and heard these things. It's not the chronology of the events depicted, it's the chronology of the visions as they're given. John is using recapitulation to create a composite image of the end of the world. Let me show you another composite image I found this week. Look at this picture. See, this is a little village outside Barcelona, Spain. This is a lightning storm. These are star trails. This is the same camera shot. The guy never moved his camera. And and a photographer who's from Barcelona took this. It's 381 second exposures stitched together. Kind of looks like the end of the world, doesn't it? 
You've got these star trails in the sky, and then you've got a lightning storm, and then you've got this village below. And here's the crazy thing. He took the picture from Spain. The lightning storm is happening in France. These are the Pyrenees Mountains. This is happening in another country. He said he couldn't even hear the lightning. He could just see it. It was so far away. Now, this is a composite image. This is 380 pictures stitched together. It's the same shot. He never moved the camera. He just took different one-second exposures and all stitched them together digitally. To me, this is a great depiction of the way the revelation works. God uses these composite images to tell a singular story. Let me give you one more that I think will help you get your head around this. Has anyone in here ever been hang gliding? Anybody? Rick, were you? No, okay, I thought, he's scratching. Okay, right. <laughs> oh, you have, okay, all right. So like one. In, in first service, we didn't have anybody. My wife was in first service, and I said, I haven't been because I'm happily married and want to stay that way. Um, she's like, nope, you're not doing it. So I, I'm fascinated by hang gliding. I just think it looks amazing, right? Can you imagine what it would be like to go hang gliding with Jesus? How cool would that be? First of all, you don't have to worry about falling, right? <laughs> um, but it'd be awesome, right? And you know how hang gliding works, right? They, they get in the thing, they jump off a high place, and you glide down eventually. But every now and then, they can catch a thermal updraft. So let's just pretend, right, that this, this stage pocket, this metal thing right here, it's where they plug stuff in. That's like a factory, and it's putting off heat. And you can, you can jump off a hill, like off the baptistry, like jump off, and you come over here, and this thing's putting off heat, and you can catch this thermal updraft, right? Because what happens is you get in your hang glider, and you're in the thing, and it's you and Jesus, how amazing would that be, like a conversation, awesome, right? And you're in the hang glider, and you just, you're going in circles, and you're just, you're going around. It's the same view, right, you just, as, you make the, as you make the loop, and you come, but this time you're higher. And you go around again, you catch that thermal, and this time you're higher. And you go around, you, you, it's, you're higher. Every, every time you go around, it's the same view all over again. You're just a little further away. A little higher up, you can see a little further. I think that's the way revelation works. It's like catching a thermal with Jesus. And as that spiral works up, you go, seven times you go around and it's the same view. Sometimes it's, it looks a little different because it's, it, 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 you're a little higher up. But Jesus is going to take you higher and higher and higher until you end in the throne room. Sign me up. I want to do that. Now, I know, I, I know I've just thrown a ton of words at you. It's probably felt like you're drinking from the fire hose, okay? If, you, if, if you're like, Casey, you're so far in the weeds, I can't even see you right now. If you ignore everything else I say, get this, all right? Revelation is not linear, it's layered. Layer on layer, on layer, on layer. That's the structure. This is this recapitulation. And I want you to understand that what that does in my heart is that gives me a huge amount of comfort. Right? Because that means that the end is closer than we think. When people read Revelation and they go, look at all the stuff that has to happen before Jesus can come back. And I'm like, there really isn't as much as you think. It's closer. Our redemption, the day that we see Jesus, is closer than you think. And so as my friend Shane Wood says, you better stink and be ready because there's one more comfort that's available to us. 
and it's the symbols. The symbols mean that our redemption is greater than we imagine. The book of Revelation is absolutely jam-packed with symbols. And one danger for those who study this is that we, we can get bogged down in them because there are a lot. And we, we need to avoid the mistake of getting bogged down and stuck on the symbols and failing to move on to their meanings and what they stand for. A lot of people take the symbols literally, right? There's a literal beast. There's a literal dragon. There's a literal thousand years. And they take these things literally. What's interesting to me is that they're pretty selective about it because when we have pictures of Jesus from the book of Revelation, it's like... You rarely ever see the lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. <laughs> Think about that. Think about a lamb, seven horns, seven eyes around. Ooh, Jesus, you're being gross. Like, what is that? What in the world? People get real selective about the symbols and how they depict them. And I think part of the reason that people have created such complicated theologies from this book is that they don't realize that from the very beginning, John said he was going to speak in symbols. Look at this. Let me take you all the way back to the very beginning of it. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known. The, the word translated made it known means to communicate in symbols. Not exclusively, but to use symbols for communication. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, right, who testifies to everything he saw that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. John is telling you, I am going to use symbols to communicate to you. This is what I saw. I'm going to be a faithful witness of what I saw and communicate to you. And God is communicating to me in symbols, and so I'm going to tell them to you. Now, why? Why would, God, why would John put all these symbols in his book? Because that's what God showed him. Why did God show him the symbols? Because if he would have told him literally what it was going to do, it would have exploded his brain. He, he needed, it provided some handles. It provided a way for him to get a hold of it. Forgive me if I sound glib to you. I'm actually really comforted by these symbols because it means that my redemption and your redemption is, is greater than we could ever imagine. You need to remember that you, in 21st century America, are not the original audience here. This, the, if you think that this is just for me, you, you, you have left the path of wisdom. All right? R remember, this was originally given to the church in Asia Minor at the end of the first centuries, end of first century. And these symbols had to mean something to them. It, it absolutely had to. Now, this is God's word for us. It was not originally God's word to us. It went to these seven churches in Asia Minor. It was for the church at the end of the first century. And if it doesn't mean something to them, we have left the path of wisdom. If we, if we look at the newspaper and we go, this symbol has to be this thing. No. It might overlap. The symbols are flexible. It might be, but you cannot tell me it has to be. With second you say has to be, you've left the path of wisdom. Now we'll get more into the timing of this stuff next week when we talk about the now and the not yet aspect of Revelation. Let me just say right here that some of the scariest like monster at the end of this book feel really fades away really quickly when you remember that it had to mean something to the original audience. So what do you mean? Let me give you one example. There are others we could pick. Let me give you one. Right? The mark of the beast. People talk about that. What is it? What, what, what is it? Is it, 
Is it like, are they going to, is it your credit card? Is it a chip that they're going to put in your hand? Would that have meant anything to churches in Asia Minor in the first century? Nope. Could that symbol possibly overlap and maybe mean that? Maybe. But don't you dare say it has to. Because it, it wouldn't mean anything to the church in the first century. It had to have had some meaning for them. And when you realize that these symbols are designed to comfort us, and the reason it gives you comfort, right, is that we let ourselves get all freaked out about these symbols of evil, but what we realize, if, if the symbols of evil, if, if the reality that they represent is greater than the symbol, then that also means that the realities that the symbols of good represent are greater than the symbol. And that's a reason to be comforted. That's a reason for joy. What God has in store for you, church, is better than you could possibly imagine. I'll give you an example. Let's say that a boy is 10 years old in 1986. And his dad says, son, I need your help with something in the, in the attic. And he goes up in the attic and he, he finds his dad's uh, IBM Selectmatic electronic typewriter. Right? Dad, what's this? Oh, son, that's a typewriter. What's it do? Well, I I use that to write my papers in college. Like, show me. So he gets it down. Dad gets out the paper, and he he sets it up and plugs it in, right? And he starts typing on it, and that little ball, boom, 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 boom. Whoa, kids' minds blown away. Like, wow, that's cool, Dad. And the letters just appear on the page. That's awesome. Dad, when I go to college, will you get me a typewriter? Sure, son, absolutely. I promise I will get you a typewriter. Eight years go by. High school graduation, May 1994. <laughs> Kids open up presents, a graduation party. Brand new Dell computer with a color printer. Did dad keep his promise? Well, not literally. But yes. Yes. In a far greater, richer way, dad absolutely kept his promise. These are symbols that tell you that what God is going to do is far greater and richer than you can wrap your puny brain around. What God wants to do to bless you at the end of the world, to comfort you, is so much richer richer and greater than you can imagine. Yes, the symbols that, that evil is bad, but the good is that much greater, church. What that means for us is that our redemption when Jesus comes again, will be far greater than we could ever wrap our head around. Your resurrected body will be more glorious and more perfectly suited as a house for your newly perfected soul than you could ever possibly imagine. Our reunion with our brothers and sisters in God's house is going to be greater than we could ever wrap our brains around. And if you thought Buck Everett's smile was big here. You wait till you meet him in glory. Because that's where he is right now. If you hadn't heard, our brother Buck Everett passed away. Buck was on our safety team. Kind of a bigger than life personality. I'm pretty sure they'll put him, up, put him on the welcome committee in heaven. It's a good spot for him. So be in prayer. We don't have any details yet, but be in prayer for the Everett family this week. 
this is going to be better and richer than you could ever possibly imagine. This book was given to people who were marked by Jesus as belonging to him. It was given to them to comfort them. There's no monster at the end of it because the monsters have been defeated and the lamb has triumphed. Did you hear me? When you understand clearly what John is doing in Revelation, it transforms this book from a monster to a friend. But that is only true for those who are marked as belonging to Jesus. And I guess my question for you this morning is, is that you? This is a comfort for those who are in Christ. If you haven't made a decision to do that, what awaits you is not good. It is most fearful. And there is a monster at the end of the book for you. And for me to not to tell you that truth would not be loving to you. This is the reality. And Jesus has given us these symbols and they're repeated so that you will know that this is sure. And this story is, is, is much simpler than it appears at first blush, and which means that's closer than we realize. And what is here, church, tells us that this is greater than we can ever wrap our brains around. And if you haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus, you're going to have an opportunity right now. In just a second, we're going to stand and sing, and I would encourage you to come forward. Maybe you need prayer. There's something weighing on your heart. It might not have anything to do with anything we talked about. We'd love to pray with you today. Maybe you have another decision, a rededication of your life. I don't know. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to sing together. And you respond as God leads you.